Well, today is the last week in our three-week series, which we've called Church of the Future. And in this series, we've just been looking at kind of a picture of the kind of church we need to be as we move into the future to be faithful to what God is calling us to do. And we've talked about some different reasons to become a church of the future. We've said that uh, one of the reasons to become a church of the future is because we need to pursue continual renewal and revitalization. Because if we don't, our church might be fine today, but the question is, will our church be fine in the future? Will we continue to be faithful as we move into the future? And so there's this call to revitalization. We've talked about the fact that to be a church of the future means that we're not just looking back on the great heritage that we've received, but we're actively seeking to leave a legacy for those who will come behind us. And then we said that the reason to become a church of the future is because it is our calling to engage with our culture in this day and age and to make sure that we are being faithful witnesses of Jesus Christ and his gospel in this time in which we live. And so we've spent time over these last couple of weeks talking about the targets we're aiming for and the kind of community that we must become. Today I want to talk to you about the heart of it all. What is really at the very heart of this church of the future? Simon Sinek wrote a book in 2009 called Start With Why, and uh, in this book he frames the entire concept of the book with this little illustration called The Golden Circle. Now, some of you might like to read books and you might think to yourself, maybe I haven't read that one, I'll add that to my list. I'll just tell you, don't. If you just go to the TED Talk website and search Simon Sinek, you'll find Start With Why, and then it's only 20 minutes of your life instead of the whole length of reading the book. The book's a good one, but the TED Talk will get you there. Okay? I want to just take a very quick moment to frame what we're going to talk about in today's message by using the golden circle. Simon Sinek says that organizations have to pay attention to all three of these concentric circles. At the very center of the circle is the word why. This is the purpose of the organization or the compelling reason or the driving force for why the organization exists. This is uh, why we exist, what we're going to accomplish in the world, why we get out of bed in the morning. This is our compelling reason or purpose for existing. The next circle is the word how, and it really emphasizes kind of the guiding principles or the core values that would define who the organization is. This is not what the organization does. It's not its programs or its services or its products. It's, it's kind of who is this organization? Who is this community that we're talking about? And then that outer circle is what? This is the kind of what does this organization offer to the world? What are its programs and its services? What are its objectives and its goals? What is it that people do when they interface with the organization? Now, this book is not a Christian book. It's not written about the church, but I think it has applications because as I have worked with churches over my career in the district life of the Wesleyan Church, uh, in, my, in my previous job, I was assistant DS in the Crossroads District and would come alongside of churches. And, and I learned some things about churches that I think relate to this diagram. For example, Churches, like most organizations, spend almost all of their time and energy in the outer circle. What it is that we do. And so they think a lot about their programs and their services and their schedules and the things that they offer to the community around them. 
This makes sense because this is where people interface with the organization. But here's the reality. As you spend more time in that outer circle of what you do, if you do not also spend time on the how and the why, you end up being a hollow organization. One with a very busy calendar with lots of things to do and lots of things that you're offering, but you forget why you're doing it. And you actually have activities that don't align with your purpose in the world. So you're very busy spinning the hamster wheel, but not getting very far. And so if organizations want to be enduring, if they want to be effective, they have to actually begin at the center of the diagram with why. Why do we exist? What is our compelling reason what drives everything that we are and everything that we do? And we must also think about how we show up in the world. How do we function as a community, as an organization? And then what do we offer to the community? And when all three of those are aligned, you have an organization that's not driven by its programs. It's actually driven by its purpose. And it actually accomplishes its goals and its objectives in the world. And it honors the reason for its, its existence. Now, over the last three weeks, we have gone through all three of these circles. We started in the outer circle as we talked about what is it that God is calling us to do over the next five years. And we said that we exist to make disciples, to transform the community, and to multiply the church. And we talked about each one of those areas and we said that over the next five years with God's help and with our diligent effort, we believe that God is leading us to be a church that walks into the waters of baptism with 150 people over the next five years. We want to see our church grow to be a church of 500 people. We want to see a new discipleship pathway launched where at least 400 of our people from the kids all the way to the oldest adult are engaged in the process of growing in their faith journey towards maturity. We said that we want to see at least 250 people serving regularly on our dream team, both inside of our church and out in the community. And we want to equip and train 150 people to be everyday missionaries who represent Christ in the middle of their everyday life. We said that as a church that's committed to transforming the community, we ought to be engaged in local outreach ministries that we run as a church, but also partner with organizations in our community that are doing great work so that we're not reinventing the wheel. We're simply coming alongside of people who are already doing great things and we're partnering with them. And partnering means that we invest, yes, financially, but even more, we invest with time and energy by placing dream teamers in those organizations to serve and help them accomplish their goals. We look at our counseling center and we see a ministry that God has blessed us with, which has a very significant purpose in our community. We serve in a community where so many people are broken. So many people need help. They need hope. They need healing. They need to move towards wholeness. And counseling is one of the ways that can help that become a reality. And so we're praying for our counseling center to double over the next five years. Double in the number of, number of counselors and double in the number of clients seen. And we already see God opening doors to make that happen. We're excited about how God's already working before us to open those doors. 
We're excited to see the Counseling Center come over into this building as counselors begin to lead weekly support groups so that people who are struggling with anxiety or depression or dealing with grief at the loss of a loved one or trying to recover from a divorce or single moms who are trying to find support in the calling that God has given them in their lives to be good parents as single mothers. We see all of these kinds of needs as ways that we can run support groups for people in our church, people in our community who can come into the church and find help and hope and healing and wholeness. We're excited to see that happen. We're looking forward to this next year as we watch Lakeview Christian School continue in its development to provide high-quality education for our community from a Christian perspective so that Christian faith is integrated right into the learning at every stage of development. We believe that that's part of our ministry to help transform the community. And then we said we believe God's calling us to multiply the church. We see this coming through our Emerging Leaders Residency where we'll invite people who have gotten their education in ministry to come inside of the local church and actually put their learning to practice to continue to develop and prepare themselves for the ministry that God's calling them to. And we see those people joining us for two years and then sending them wherever God wants them to go and knowing that we've played a role in helping those people develop towards God's call for their lives. We think that God's leading us to start a couple of campuses over the next five years. One, a virtual campus that will connect with people who maybe interface with us only online. We want to do more than just provide a worship service online. We want to help people who join with us online to actually begin to engage in discipleship ministries and even find places of service in our church and in our community. And then we want to open a a campus somewhere close to downtown where we can have weekly worship services and discipleship ministries and open a counseling office and run support groups and find a place where community people who maybe wouldn't travel all the way to this campus would be able to walk into a campus close to downtown and find the gospel of Jesus Christ and all of its benefits for their lives. And then, of course, we want to be faithful to our DNA to be a church that's engaged with the global mission of God. This year, our target is to give $72,000 to missions that do not happen here. They happen other places. We want to invest in the global work of God. And we want to see that number grow from 72,000 to 100,000 over the next five years. We want to see us give $100,000 a year or more to engage in the global mission of God. And we want to raise up mission teams. We're already beginning to plan right now. What are the missions teams that are going to go out in the next 12 months? We want to send 10 teams out over the next five years so that we are going to where our missionaries are, serving alongside of them, and then coming back and reporting on what we see and what we experience on the good work that God is doing in other places through our church. These are the targets that we're aiming for because we believe God's called us to make disciples, transform the community, and multiply the church. Last week, we talked about the how circle. How should we function as a community? And remember, we said we don't want to be a bounded set church where we have kind of walls built around our church and it's hard for people to get in here. We don't want to be that kind of church. No, we want to be a church that has a strong core, a centered set church. Really strong core with wide open borders so that anybody can come. Anybody can be a part of this community and anybody can join in and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and have their lives changed by him. 
And so we talked about four core values or guiding principles that really need to shape and form how we should behave as a church. We talked about spiritual fervency. That the most important need we have as a church is the presence and the work of God in and through us. And so we will hunger and we will thirst after God and we will seek him with all that we have as a church. We said that we must be a church committed to biblical fidelity. Listen, we live in a culture where all kinds of ideas are coming to the forefront and many of them are godless and secular. And we see it in the church world. If you just look around the church world, you will find Christians who say they believe the Bible who are being tossed back and forth by the ideas of our culture right now. We do not want to be that kind of church. We want to be built solidly on the scriptures. We believe the Bible is the inspired and authoritative word of God. And we will be unrelenting in our commitment to preach the word of God and to live by the word of God. No matter what the cost. Thank you for saying amen to that. But as we build this strong core of spiritual fervency and biblical fidelity, we have to at the very same time be committed to radical hospitality. As our world becomes more and more secular, people in our culture are farther and farther away from God. They do not have any concept of who God is or what church is about. We we used to be able to just open the doors and kind of put on a, a good service and people would come. And they would like investigate Jesus just because the doors were open. We don't live in a culture like that anymore. It's changed. People aren't waking up in the morning on Sunday thinking, I think I'll go to church today. It's not even crossing their mind. So as people find their way to our church, the only way that that's going to happen is as you, as God's people, go out into our community and and build relationships and share your faith and tell God's story. And as you do that faithfully over time and you invite people, eventually people will find their way in. And when they do, they're not going to come in as pre-made Christians all ready to look like Jesus. They're going to come with brokenness and hurts and hang-ups. They're going to come needing healing and help and hope. They're not going to come as whole human beings just with everything functioning perfectly in their lives. We should know this because we aren't all that. Right? I mean, we're still in process of God doing work in our lives to make us different and better people. And so when people are out there far, far away from God, when they come in, they're not going to come pre-made, ready to look like Jesus. Which means we must be a church that's radically hospitable. The ability to engage with people who don't believe like we believe, but to do so with love and compassion and grace and acceptance. Not because we say, stay like you are, but because we know you are made in the image of God, even if you don't believe in him. And we see not just who you are, but we see who you can become. And so we love you, and we welcome you, and we embrace you, and we will give you the space to be who you are and to be where you are until the Spirit of God begins to draw you to himself. 
We're going to be a church with a strong core, but we're going to have open borders. Anybody is welcome here. Anybody is welcome here. And when they come, we're going to be a church that's committed to people development. You see, as people come into our church, again, none of us come to Jesus like prepackaged. We come to Jesus with lots of assembly required. And Jesus is so gracious to save us, to forgive us, and then through his Holy Spirit to begin working in our lives, putting us together to be exactly the people he intends for us to be. We're going to be that kind of church. We'll accept you as you are, where you are, but we want you to know that we're committed to helping you take a journey to become everything that God wants you to be. Remember the prayer that the lady prayed for Lloyd Ogilvie? I pray that your life will be as wonderful as it was in the mind of God when he created you. That's what we're going to pray for everybody who walks in our doors. So what are we called to do as a church? We're called to make disciples. We're called to transform the community. We're called to multiply the church. How will we function as a community of faith? Well, we're going to be a community of faith that's committed to spiritual fervency, biblical fidelity, radical hospitality, and people development. In the last few minutes that we have together today, I want to talk to you now about the most inner circle on that diagram, the why circle. Why would we aim for these targets? And why would we become this kind of community? Well, the short, simple answer is the reason that we aim for these targets and the reason we are committed to becoming this kind of community is because Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. And we believe that becoming this kind of community and aiming for these kind of targets are exactly the things that our Lord wants us to be focused on. This is our compelling reason. And, and the reason this is at the center of everything is because there is a foundational truth in Scripture, and the foundational truth is this. There is only one God, and He is worthy of your life. There's only one God, and He is worthy of your life. Now, you need to understand that our world will tell you that there are lots of gods. And I have to agree with them that our world does raise up lots of things that you could devote your life to. But I want you to know that when we read the Bible, what we are told is that there is only one God, which means that all other gods have been dethroned by him. Which means if you are devoting your life to anything or anyone else other than the God of the Bible, you've gotten it wrong. Remember I said we're going to preach the Bible. That's the Bible. In the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy, the people of God began to form this foundational truth in a prayer that God inspired them to pray. It's a prayer known as the Shema. It, it's a prayer that you've probably heard hundreds of times. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. 
Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. This is the same exact passage that Jesus refers to when he talks about the fact that there is one and great commandment, and it is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Right? This is the prayer of the Jewish people. Now you need to understand the uniqueness and power of this prayer in their day. Because if you were belong to any other culture around the people of Israel in that day, you would have a variety of gods that you would have to maintain a relationship with. If you wanted to live a successful and effective life, you needed to actually appease multiple gods. That's how people thought. So if you were a farmer... You had to think about the God of the soil because you needed that God to be friendly to you when you planted seeds in the ground. And of course, you needed rain. So you had to go and appease the God of the rain. And, and you didn't just need rain, you needed sunshine. So you better talk to the God of the sun. And you, if you had a river that was anywhere near your field, you, you better go talk to the river God because he might make his river flood and that would destroy your field. And so there were all of these gods that you had to maintain a relationship with, that you had to appease, that you had to offer sacrifices to. And into that culture, God reveals himself to his people Israel. And they begin to say, the Lord our God is one. We don't need multiple gods to serve over each and every arena and area of life. We have one God who's over every arena and every area of life, and he is worthy of our allegiance and our devotion. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with everything that you've got. Because there's only one God to serve anyway. This is God basically offering the dethronement of all other gods, saying these gods are worthless. You don't need them because I'm the one true God over everything. Now, when you fast forward to the New Testament, you find the same exact covenant claim being translated into the person of Jesus Christ. God sends his only son, Jesus Christ. He's born, takes on human flesh, lives a perfect life suffers, bleeds, dies, is buried, is raised again to new life. And after he's raised from the dead, 40 days later, he ascends to be with his father. And the New Testament church starts to talk about Jesus with this term, Jesus Christ is Lord. Now it's interesting that they would say this because in that day, in the first century, there was only one Lord, according to the people. And that was the political leader of the day, Caesar. People would literally say, Caesar is Lord. And the early church says, no, no. Caesar isn't Lord. There's only one God. And he's been revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ has dethroned all of the gods of the first century. They're gone. In the passage that Cindy read for us earlier, we, we heard this, right? All of these idols that people would sacrifice food to. No, they're not gods. Only Jesus Christ is Lord. Only Jesus Christ is Lord. Listen, this is God's covenant claim over our lives. There's only one God and he's worthy 
of your whole life. It's worthy of your whole life. You have to devote everything to him. Christianity at its core is not about giving your heart to Jesus. If that's what you thought it was about, you, you aimed way too small. Jesus isn't interested in you giving your heart to him. Jesus wants every part of your life. If all you've given to him is your heart, you've got a lot more to give. Because he wants every part of who you are. Because there's no other God. There's no, nothing else, no one else that you should devote your life to. Not your calling, not your career, not even your country. Jesus Christ is Lord, period. Actually, not even a period, exclamation mark. Jesus Christ is Lord, and he is worthy of your whole life, every part of it. This is the central truth of the Christian faith. This is the heart of everything that we are and everything that we do. The Lord, our God, is one. Jesus Christ is Lord. This is the covenant claim of God. And here's the reality. Jesus, as Lord, makes some demands of our life. And I want to just share three of them with you very quickly as we close. First, lordship. This is a little bit of what I was just saying. Jesus, Jesus doesn't just want your heart. Jesus wants your life. Right? This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy, pleasing, and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the passage that was read earlier, we are told there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, and we exist through him and for him. He is Lord and he requires every part of our lives, period. This is why in our discipleship pathway, more than anything else, we want to help people follow Jesus. Because he's supposed to be the center. We're actually supposed to put him at the center of our lives, and we are supposed to learn him and become like him and live in ways that please him and that honor him in this world. This is who we are as followers of Jesus. This is the mark of a Christian, that we are becoming like him. This is why we're gonna teach people how to engage the scriptures, not just to fill our heads with knowledge, but so that we can, through the word of God, learn Jesus and become like him. It's why we're gonna come alongside of everyone in our discipleship pathway and help them actually learn the doctrine of the Christian faith so that you're not tossed back and forth, so that you have a firm foundation to stand on and you can actually maintain your Christian faith even in a shaky, shaky world. And we're gonna give you the, the ability to practice the disciplines of the faith, the means of the grace, means of grace, so you can actually become like Jesus. Because it's not enough to read the scriptures and know theology. You have to actually engage in the means of grace where God meets you in those moments and begins to change your life from the inside out. 
That's why we want to teach people to pray and to fast and to worship and to serve and to spend time in silence and solitude. Why? Because God has already promised to meet us in those places. When you look at anybody who's done anything great for God in the history of our world, they have been people who knew how to engage in the practices of the faith. And we want to raise up a whole congregation of people who are following Jesus and becoming like him. Second implication of this declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord, and it's the issue of stewardship. The reality is, is that because Jesus Christ is Lord, that means he's the owner and we are not. Everything that we have, our time, our talent, our gifts, our abilities, our physical and financial resources, all belongs to God. It does not belong to us. We might possess it in this life and in this world, but we don't own it. He owns it. We just simply manage it for him. Which means everything that we have, we are to use for his purposes because he is the Lord. He's the owner. This means that we have to learn how to be good stewards. So in our discipleship pathway, we want to help people learn to live generously. Because when I read the Bible, what I see is that as people follow Jesus, they descend into greatness. They become humble and selfless servants who are always thinking about the needs of others as more important than their own. This is what Jesus modeled, and because we're following him, we're going to model that too in our lives. We give of our time. We manage it well. We get the most out of this one and only life that God has given to us. We learn how to manage our physical and our financial resources so that our needs are met, so that we have margin to save for the future. And most importantly, we have the resources to invest in kingdom initiatives so that God's purposes get advanced in this world. And we discover our calling. We figure out our gifts and our abilities and our passions. And we employ those in moving the kingdom of God forward in our day and in our time. We follow Jesus because he's Lord. We live generously because of this issue of stewardship. And then thirdly, mission. God is at work in this world bringing everything under his rule and reign as the one God over all. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 28, Paul says this. He says that one day everything will be made subject to Christ. And in that moment, God will be all in all. This is where history is headed. Do not let the news stories tell you where our world is headed. Our world is headed to one place where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is where it is going to end. God is doing that work right now and he has invited us to partner with him in that work to begin to bring everything under his lordship right now. That's mission. This is why Jesus said, come follow me and I will send you out. You see, it's not enough for us to follow Jesus and live generously. We have to actually engage with Jesus in his mission to redeem and restore this world because that's the work that God is doing. And so this is why we're going to call people in our discipleship pathway to discover how to make a difference. Every single person in our church should be able to identify their mission field and know how best to represent Christ in that mission field. Every single person in our church should know how to share their testimony of how Jesus has changed their life. And 
They should be able to share the story of the gospel with anybody who has questions. Because the last time I read the Bible, it said we should be ready in season and out of season to give a defense for what we believe. Every single person in our church must be equipped to share their story and God's story so that you can lead people to Jesus. Some of you have been Christians for a decade and have never had the privilege of leading someone to Jesus. That needs to change. I want every single one of you to start praying for God to give you the opportunity to lead someone to faith in Jesus because I think that's our job. And then we know that there are a group among us whom God is gonna call to be raised up to serve as everyday missionaries. These people are gonna be trained and equipped to exegete our culture, to know the language that people are speaking, to know the issues that people are dealing with. And they're gonna be equipped to go out into their everyday lives and just live incarnationally in Grant County as missionaries. Because remember, 42,000 people in our county do not have an affiliation with any religion whatsoever. And when you add to that people who believe in other religions besides Christianity, what that means is the majority of people you come into contact with every single week do not know Jesus Christ, which means we live on a mission field. And we believe God's gonna raise up 150 missionaries in this church who will be sent and commissioned as missionaries to Grant County. God is calling us to be a church where people follow Jesus, where people live generously, and where people make a difference for the glory of God. And why would we do that? Because Jesus Christ is Lord. Now we're gonna conclude this service here in just a couple of minutes with communion. But before we do that, I wanna invite you to sing a song that would help us focus our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith. So Christian is coming. And this song that we chose to conclude the service with, it's, it's just a very simple chorus. Some of you will know it. Others of you might not know it, but you'll pick it up because it's pretty easy. It's just a song that simply says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Listen, I just want to tell you, as your pastor today, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's not, it's not about my name. It's not about your name. It's not about Lakeview Church. It's not about the Wesleyan denomination. It's not about a school or a counseling center. It's not about any of that. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Because Jesus Christ is Lord. So I wanna invite you, as we prepare our hearts for communion, to stand. And we're gonna sing together this very simple chorus. And after we sing this chorus, I'm gonna come back and lead us through communion. So let's sing this song together and let's turn our eyes on Jesus.